Doherty, the 6'7 sophomore from East Meadow, New York. Leadership is learned. A starter on Coach Dean Smith's legendary 1982 Tar Heels National Championship team with Michael Jordan. Jordan comes down with a rebound. Clears it away to Doherty. Doherty going in against Floyd. For the layup, it's good. Leadership is earned. Head coach at the University of North Carolina and the University of Notre Dame. You notice Matt Doherty, he is up working every second of this ballgame. Leadership is taught. Public speaker, author, and executive coach. And leadership does not require a title. This is the Rebound Podcast with Coach Matt Doherty. Welcome to the Rebound Podcast. I'm Matt Doherty and I'll be your host. On this podcast, we focus on the topic of leadership and overcoming adversity in an open and raw kind of way. We discuss failures and how to rebound from them. I became passionate about leadership after being forced to resign from my coaching job at the University of North Carolina in 2003. I went on a leadership journey and realized it's the most undertaught topic in formal schooling, but yet might be the most important. With me today is Danny Manning. Danny Manning won championships in high school and the NCAA title at Kansas in 1988, being named the most outstanding player of the tournament and is still the school's all-time leading scorer. Danny was an All-American National Player of the Year NCAA College Hall of Fame Olympian, number one draft pick in 1988, two-time All-Star, played 14 years, and may have the record for playing for the most NBA coaches of all time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Post-career, Danny started coaching at Kansas, became the head coach at Tulsa, where he was the coach of the year for Conference USA, and coached six years at Wake Forest. Danny's currently working as a broadcaster for ESPN. Danny, welcome to the Rebound Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Excited to visit with you and uh, spend some time talking to you. Well, it's always good to connect your class act and um, been a big fan of yours ever since 1988. And I was at the game when you beat Oklahoma in Kemper Arena. Um, that, that had to be obviously such a huge thrill for you and your teammates. Matt, that was a lot of fun. Very fortunate in that sense of being on that stage 30 minutes away from our college campus and, and winning the championship. Very similar to what you experience. You know, when you get on that biggest stage and you're on a team that the last team standing, you get to cut down the nets. It's a very surreal feeling. Um, and the older you get, the more humbled you become by that accomplishment because you realize so many things had to fall your way. And, and, and you know, you had a little bit of luck and obviously you put forth the work to have that opportunity. But you, you realize that, at the end of the day, it's something that you're extremely lucky and, and fortunate to be a part of. Yeah, amen to that. Um, you go on, you're the number one pick in the draft. And 26 games into your rookie year, you tear your ACL. How did, what went through your mind? How, how did you deal with that emotionally? Emotionally... It was it was tough. It, it was tough for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I, a goal of mine was always to play in the NBA, and when you get to that attain gold, if you will, um, it's taken away from you. So it, it, it was very tough. I, I remember hurting my knee. We we're in Milwaukee. I remember trying to talk myself out of it in the sense of you know you've had little sprains and, and, and all these little other nagging injuries before you'll be able to bounce back from this. But in the back of my mind, I knew something didn't quite feel right in my leg. And I go back to L.A. and 
You know, you get all the work done. You get the MRI and get your x-rays and things of that nature. They give you all types of tests on your knee. And you hear it's a torn ACL. But at that point in time, Brad, you know, those those are, are considered um, career-threatening, if you will. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, this is Bernard King's in the midst of his comeback. And he provided a lot of inspiration. A college teammate of mine, Archie Marshall, yep. provided a ton of inspiration because he came back from two while we were at Kansas. And that for me, it just got to a point where, okay, if I can get back on the court, I'll still be 6'10", 6'11". Right. I might not be as quick. I might not jump as high. I might not move as fast. But I'll still be uh, just a straight postman. And so that, for me, was the goal, was getting back out on the court and figuring out a way to be successful. Great doctor in Stephen Lombardo, who performed all three of my ACL surgeries. Master therapist in Clyde Brewster, Johnny Doyle, and Carl Horn were my major um, rehab guys throughout all my injuries. And I was just fortunate enough to make it back. Um, I worked hard. And I had great doctors, and you know that was my goal to to get back. And so for me, that became my job. As soon as I tore my ACL, I was figuring out what I needed to do to try to get back. And I was fortunate enough to be able to come back from all three, which is probably the a very proud moment for me. Um, it, but hopefully, no one has to go through that. Oh man, the court three three yeah. ACLs, Danny, three. Um, that you went through, you were the first player, I believe, to ever do that. You know, after the first one, you could probably have the energy, I'm going to come back. You have the second one. How, how did, what drove you to recover from your second and third ACLs, no, no less your first one? Well, for me, there were a couple things. One, Matt, you know, I have young kids, and so my kids get a chance to see me every day, and I wanted to provide and set a good example of them of, hey, you know, sometimes life is going to deal you a bad hand and you still got to play it. And so getting up every day and, you know, the way that we had it set up, it's, I, I built a rehab center in the backyard and it was a building. And I did all my rehabs, my last two rehabs in my backyard in our in my workout room, if you will, which was a building. And I had all the equipment that I needed. My therapist would come over there and every day, we, that's where I'd be all day. So they got a chance to see that. And then also my love for the game. And also, Matt, the knowing that I did it one time. That mm-hmm. was it. You know, I came back from it before. I can do it again. Mm-hmm. And the second time was actually easier. And the third time was the easiest because I know what I have to do. I've been there before. And the type of surgery was an allograft surgery. And an allograft surgery basically is a cadaver tendon. And so a lot of tests were done to make sure that that borrowed tendon, if you will, would adjust and adapt to my body. And once that was the case, that was the easiest rehab because it already had the sides needed. Mm-hmm. And I'm just waiting for the blood flow to run through that graft and to connect. So wow. that that made it a lot easier in terms of rehabbing because you're not waiting for the two injuries to heal, if you will. Yeah. How, you know? how long was the rehab from your first ACL? Uh, 11 months. All three were 11 months. All three were 11 uh, months. Gotcha. Yeah, all three were 11 months before I could get back out on the court. And to be honest with you, Matt, I didn't feel comfortable playing again until a year after I got back on the court from those 11 months. Yeah. So it took me a year and 11 months to feel somewhat close to what I felt before the injuries, pre-injuries. Who, who was the biggest encourager for you through that time? 
Well, I have I had a couple. You know, like I said, my my wife Julie was there. My my daughter, my son Taylor and Evan were there, and then also just wanting to play the game of basketball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that was that was probably my biggest motivating factor. Is that I wanted to continue to play. I wanted to figure out a way to be able to do that. I wanted to be involved in the game of basketball, and at that point in time, I still wanted to be a player. Yeah. And so my motivation was to do whatever I needed to do in that rehab room to give myself a chance to get back out on the court. And then if I'm not good enough, if I can't move well enough, I can't jump high enough, then okay. But at least I know I did everything I could possibly do to give myself a chance to get back out there. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, amazing player, a unique player, you know, at that time to be 6'10", 6'11", and handle the ball like a guard. Um, you know, you were kind of uh, a little like Kevin Durant before Kevin Durant, if you will, um, for those that are listening and understand what Danny Manning meant to college basketball in the late 80s. Um, uh, you grew up in North Carolina. Um, your dad played for the Carolina Cougars of the ABA, I believe. Yes. And you won a state championship at Greensboro Page High School a- as a junior. Mm-hmm. And then your dad was a teammate of Larry Brown's, and Larry hired him at Kansas, correct? Dad played for Coach Brown with the Carolina Cougars. Oh, he did? Oh, God. Yeah, we're played, dating, played, Coach, played, we're played dating Coach, Brown. Coach Brown. Coach Brown has been coaching for a while. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so your dad goes to Lawrence. Obviously, you follow him, so you move, and you then go, was it, did you win the state championship at Lawrence High School? We lost in the state championship game. Uh my senior year at Lawrence High School to Wyandotte. We lost two games that year, and they were both to Wyandotte. The second game of the year and the last game. Oh, of the gosh. Year. Yeah. And the year before that, uh, Lawrence High won the state championship. Oh, so you get there. Here's this big star basketball player comes in, and, and they win the championship the year before you got there? Yes. Oh, man. Chris Piper's senior year. Oh, so I bet you Chris throws that at you all the time, doesn't he? Well, yeah. Um, from time to time, it's just brought up in discussion. <laughs> Chris, for the audience, Chris Piper was a starting forward on Danny's team that won the 1988 National Championship. And we're talking about Lawrence High School. The University of Kansas is located in Lawrence, Kansas. So, uh, yeah, you know, we all like to have one-ups on our our, our college buddies, right? Not many people have one-ups on you. The (laughs) all-time leading scorer. I don't think you'll ever see that mark, you know, beaten because now – Nowadays, if you were a freshman in college, you'd be you'd probably go in the top ten picks, and you'd be at Kansas one year. Is that fair to say? That's very fair to say. With the climate that we're in now, um, maybe two years for me, Matt, just from the standpoint of the, my coaches and my mentor, you know, my dad and Coach Brown. Uh, my my junior year, there was talk of me coming out, and you know, Coach Brown and my dad talk, and you know, I end up. My dad comes by my apartment. And he sticks his head in the door and he goes, "You're not ready." <laughs> you know, and it's just like, we, "That's it. That's the end of the conversation. I'm not ready." He goes, "Yeah, it was it. You're not ready." <laughs> I was like, "Well, okay, okay, yeah, it was it." <laughs> okay, yeah, you dialed Domino's Pizza instead of yeah. you know calling you know Del Frisco's or something like yes. that. Yeah, you yeah. got in your used uh, uh, pickup truck instead of calling a Mercedes Benz dealership. Yeah, yeah, no. that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So, Danny, after you're done playing, um, you're obviously passionate about the game. You start coaching at Kansas. Um, 
you get the head coaching job at Tulsa. You're you're there one year. You're the coach of the year in the in the conference. You go to the NCAA tournament, and you then take the job at Wake Forest. What was that decision like for you and your family? Well, I'll go back, Matt. When I retired from the NBA, my son was in fourth grade and had not been in the same school for a whole year. Wow. And at that point, as you know, the the travel, the wear and tear on you as an individual, let alone what your family's going through. And so for me and Julie, my wife, it was just, I want to make sure that our kids have a really good foundation from here forward with school, being in the same school, developing relationships with friends. And so we moved back to Lawrence, Kansas. Coach Self offered me an opportunity to, to, to be on the staff and I got a chance to learn from the ground level up, and that's something I'm very appreciative of. And then once my kids graduated from high school, um, it was time to start looking to find out what happened. My father passed away um, in 2011, and that kind of jump-started my mindset, to be honest with you, being a coach, because if, I was like, tomorrow's not promised. Right. And if I, if I want to do this, I want to get into it, I, I need, to, I need to, to start. And Coach Self helped me get the Tulsa opportunity. I was actually there two years. It was a great two years. And then the opportunity came of, of Wake Forest. And for me, Matt, as you, you'll be able to understand and appreciate a lot of this, it was the thought of being able to go back home. I grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina, for the majority of my childhood years, which was ACC country. Um, Wake Forest played their home games in Greensboro at the Coliseum that you know oh, so yeah. well. Because no. You yep. played there so many games with – in general, but of course in the ACC tournament. And then going back and play, competing in the ACC. Right. That was, as a competitor, to me, I was like, yo, this is this is it. This is what you want to do. This is the level that you want to compete at and play at. And so for me, all those things together ended up being too good of an opportunity to pass in the sense of just having a chance. Yeah. Well, and, going back to your childhood growing up in Greensboro, um, you know, is it there? The rumor, strong rumor, was Danny that that Matt Doherty, I, I was your favorite player growing up. Is that I'd like to just confirm that on this podcast? Yeah, we can start, we can talk about that, Matt. Matt, I had a great appreciation for what you did as a player. I, I'm telling you, no, no, you no Danny, it. Danny, you I, 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 you're ducking the question. You're a good politician. I was your favorite player, right, growing up? Not my favorite player. Oh, a player oh, oh! Not my favorite, but a player I really appreciated. <laughs> and I knew Carolina had to have to be successful because you did it all. You scored, you rebounded, you assisted. Great understanding. Oh. You know, you play with some talented cats, though. Yeah, I no, I Michael. I'm sorry. I, I, I like Michael. Yeah. You know what? I bet you like James Worthy, too, because your games are somewhat I did, similar. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big yeah, game. And Sam, because Sam stepped out and made shots. Yeah. No, they were such good basketball players and great teammates. Yeah. yeah no. So, so you then take the Wake Forest job. And tell me about the transition as a leader, the transition from Tulsa to Wake Forest. Um, what were some of the, the challenging moments of the transition? And, you know, what were some of your best experiences? Well, for us, we're talking about us, Julie and I, my wife, it was one of the easier moves we had to make from the standpoint of the Tulsa transition and the North Carolina Wake Forest transition were moves that we didn't have to consider our kids, what neighborhood we lived in, what schools that they were going to go to and things of that nature. So it was kind of a, it was an empty nest move for us. Mm-hmm. And so at that point it was just finding a location that 
in a house that we liked, um, that my wife was comfortable in, that our guy, the team could come over and spend time. And then from there, it was trying to, you know, whenever you take over a program, you'll understand this. You, 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 you try to bridge everything together. You try to bridge the former players with the current players. You try to bring about all the positives and the traditions that you've seen and you've been told about and try to incorporate those into your the program that is going on present day. Mm-hmm. And that was the mindset for me. And you go into a lot of different places and there are a lot of different reasons that people have their feelings and feel certain ways about certain things. So to me, it was just trying to bring everybody together and also go out and you're trying to recruit and bring in young men that fit your profile and system. But the first thing I had to do was try to recruit the guys back on the team. Right. You know, because so many guys, they, they didn't come there to play for you. They didn't know you. And so, you know, spending time with them, trying to let them know what I was all about as a player, um, because that's the kind of style of play I wanted to play, but also as a person and a coach, more importantly, of sharing with them, I want what's best for you. I want to help prepare you for life through the game of basketball. Mm-hmm. And so that's always a challenging situation. So you navigate that and, and you get out onto the ACC play, and then you realize, oh, this this league is different. It's different. It's a little different. <laughs> yes, this league is different, and you have to have a certain type of player to play in that league mm-hmm. um, and to compete in that league. And that's something that uh, I realized very quickly. And so you know you kind of adapt your recruiting philosophy. To, to do certain things, to try to get in with different guys that um, aren't always the ideal person that you would recruit. Mm-hmm. But in the sense of if you can do the work academically, if you're talented enough of a basketball player and a good enough of a person, we can make all those other things work. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of, you know, sometimes it was, hey, the major that you really talked about wanting to major in we don't necessarily have that, but we're a great academic institution and we have some of these that are very similar. Mm-hmm. So those are the types of things that you try to navigate. And then obviously you're building relationships with AAU coaches and high school coaches and you know, you're trying to get out and be visible in the community. So there, there are a lot of different things that go into it. You're trying to build relationships across campus too, not only in the athletic department, but you know, with different deans on campus you know the admissions office just so they get to know you as a person and kind of go from there yeah no uh i I understand that totally it's all consuming um what was the most pleasant surprise when you took over and you're trying to manage change and what was the most surprising because I, i talk a lot when you take a new job especially in college basketball you know, you, you have about 48 hours to kind of figure it out, and you do as much research as you can, and it's like buying a house, right? And mm-hmm. it, you say, oh, that has nice curb appeal. You walk through the house, and the rooms are nice. The kitchen looks nice. And then you buy the house, and then you realize that maybe the heating and air conditioning doesn't work as well. Maybe you realize there's a leak in the in the basement. Maybe you realize that there's a train track right behind the house, and it, at 11 o'clock every night, the train goes by. Um, and I see that in every job I've taken. You know, it, it's never as bad as it seems. It's never as good as it seems. What was a pleasant surprise about taking over at Wake Forest, and what was some of the things that, that surprised you? Well, one of the pleasant surprises about taking over at Wake Forest was the fact that I got to reconnect with a lot of childhood friends. 
You know, I mean, from the standpoint of elementary school friends, junior high or middle school friends or junior high is what we called it in high school. And so for me, being able to reconnect with a lot of those friends was very uh, heartwarming. It was fun because you lose contact. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the way, the way it goes. And so that was probably the most heartwarming thing for me going back to Wake Forest. And then, like you said, the most challenging was, yeah, you find where all the skeletons are. You know, during the during the job um, application process, you are you're told about a couple of the skeletons. They don't tell you where all of them are. And then when you start, you get there and you open up a couple of closets and you see a couple of skeletons fall out. You're like, oh boy, okay, yeah, and this is my skeleton now, and I had to uh, figure out a way what to do with it and how to navigate from here forward. And so for me, like you said, just finding some of those challenges that that pop up on you that you don't that you weren't privy of walking into it was what's the most challenging thing and trying to figure out how to navigate that and also stay focused on what you needed to do, which was to build relationships across the board, recruit, and then also try to get your foundation in place with your, your, your workouts, if you will. Danny, you were touching on the skeletons that you, you found at Wake Forest what were some of those skeletons that you you were surprised when you opened the closet and 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 it came flying out? Well, for me, Matt, um, as a basketball player, growing up watching ACC basketball, it was ACC basketball, right? And so, I went back to Coach Wake Forest in the ACC, and you know, just a lot of the perception of what Wake Forest was in the ACC was something that. Uh, was eye-opening from the sense of not Carolina, it's not Duke, it's not NC State, but, you know, the perception was not as bright as I would have liked for it to, to be in the recruiting world. Right. So, you know, you walk into gyms and, wow, that's a, that's a coach from Wake Forest, da, da, da. and, you know, that acknowledgement is there, but, you know, it's I, I realized very quickly that, the, the pull of some of those other schools in the ACC was really more powerful. Great. Yeah. And yeah. especially Danny, since you and I, uh, you know, were playing and you grew up um, because back then it was only nine teams and Wake yes. Forest with Frank Johnson and Jim Johnston and, mm-hmm. and Guy Morgan and Danny Young, uh, Tichy yeah. were really good. And, yes. and, and, and then all of a sudden, um, you had Syracuse, you had Louisville, you had Florida State, you had, um, you know, all these other teams, and everyone else is investing, and Wake Forest kind of is, you know, now in the bottom third or quarter of the league, and like you said, you walk into a gym, people know that, hey, that's Danny Manning. You know, if you know basketball, you know that's Danny Manning, or you're at least curious because you're 6'10", right? Mm-hmm. And then you say, oh, we've got to you know, WF on his shirt. Um, he's, oh, yeah, that's the head coach at Wake Forest. You'd like to go in with equal equal brand of Danny Manning and Wake Forest, and then that's powerful. But when you have to explain things a little bit more than you'd like to, uh, that makes it a tough sell on kids that are all about branding. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, you know, adjusting to that. And, um, you know, at first, Matt, going through it, it was, it was, it was kind of like, it felt like it was a personal blow. You know what I mean? Like, like hold on a minute. Let's, you know, I'm, I'm here. I want to offer you a scholarship right. to a great private institution, 
great education, prepare you for life. But you've got kids that are just like receptive to that. You have parents that are receptive to that. But a lot of times it came down to a kid saying, coach, I just grew up watching Carolina. Yeah. I just grew up watching Duke. Or I remember when NC State, you know, my parents told me about when NC State won the championship. And so those are things that, you know, that kid is just like, this This became my dream school. This was my dream. And so it was just like, wow. It was the pull, the powerfulness of those programs and the history of them um, in that state, very strong. Yeah. Brand, and, uh, brand, you know, we, we made some headway, and we were able to recruit some kids to to – to come in, but you know that was always challenging. Well, your be- best player, I would say, is John Collins, who was there what two years and, and went on to the Atlanta Hawks and got off to a tremendous start in the NBA. And um, um, and and then you you went to the NCAA tournament. And what year was it for you? Third year. Third year. So you go to the NCAA. You sign a contract extension, I believe. Yes. Okay, and then. Three years later, you were fired? Yes. Okay. Um, this is where I want to get to, and this is where I want to drill down, because this is makes for good podcasts, uh, but really it helps people understand, you know, because I think, you know, people can look from afar and say, oh, that's Danny Manning. He, he's got paid a lot of money, played in the NBA. You know, he's got, he's on TV, he's got it made. But the emotion, you know, the investment you make in, in any endeavor, you know, whether you're a CEO of a company or uh, you're, you're a parent, but when you're, put your, you're out there, I mean, public, you're out there um, doing something you love, you believe in, and you get fired, uh, there's a little bit of a free fall there. So what, what was it like, you know, when did you find out you were going to get fired? Well, Matt, when the season ended, we started our review of the program, if you will, and just going through that process. It, it was a lengthy process. And, uh, you know, anytime you, you, you know, you're going through those types of meetings, it's yeah. you're, you're sharing your vision. You're sharing, you know, what you think went wrong, how you can correct it and, and move forward. Was that so with, go, the, excuse me, Danny, was that with the athletic director or just with your staff? That was with the athletic director. Gotcha. Had you done that previously? Yes, I had. Okay. Um, with my, but this was a new athletic director. So oh. this was the first. John Curry. First, yeah, this is the first round with, with Curry. And so, um, you know, we go, go through all of that. And then he makes a decision that he wants to go in a different direction with the leadership of the program. And that was that. How was how so that information shared with you? Was it a phone call in person? How was no, that? Matt, that was right during the, the the beginning of the pandemic. And so it was a uh, zoom, you know, phone calls. We were having zoom meetings. We weren't in person. Meetings. Okay. So all of our meetings were zoom, if you will. And so it was, uh, yeah, total face to face, but you know, yep. similar to this, it's, it's a zoom setup. So were you um, surprised? Any, were you surprised by that decision? Not surprised from the standpoint of, we have quite a few meetings and, you know, as a, person that you know kind of looks at life in a real type of way i understood that was always a possibility right i mean my father grew up in the game he, he coached in the game i've been around it and i understood coaches got fired or get fired right and so i always knew that was a, a possibility especially with a uh, new leadership coming in 
And so for me, once I, I get that news, man, it is a, it's a tornado of emotions. Yeah. Talk about um, that. Talk about those know, emotions. You know, for me, you, you, you reflect back and go, wow, we had some good times. And then you, you get pissed because it's like, wow, what, you know, I still had so much more to do so much more to give. Um, you feel disappointment from the standpoint of so many people put their trust into me. Um, and my assistants moved to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, you know, moved their kids. Um, the, the reality of the young men that you brought into the program, you're not going to be able to see them walk out of the door, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, all those types of things. And it just, it just, it would go back and forth. It would go back and forth um, to, to a lot of different of those emotions. That's why I say it was just a whirlwind or, or a tornado of emotions. And so for me, I had to do, I had to process those. I had to go through those. And so it came down to a journal. Mm, oh, really? Down my thoughts. And, oh, wow. you know, trying to, trying to get it out on paper. Now, this was something that, uh, you know, I'll burn one day. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> else is going to look at it and see it. But it was very therapeutic for me to write these thoughts down because it helped me move on from getting fired it wow. helped me uh refocus in terms of getting it out of my system if you will yeah um, I, I i danny i do uh, i run a leadership consulting practice and mm-hmm. um study leadership and uh, a lot of people and i'm not a good journaler but right. a lot of t- people talk about meditation and journaling and and yep. the power of journaling and and the power of gratefulness. Um, yes. Talk yes. talk to me a little bit about those those topics. Uh, continue well, with the journaling. Who taught you how to journal? Who who? Well, my, I have one of my mentors, Dr. Joe Carr, who goes around and he does he speaks to teams on team building and and uh, individual development. And he spoke to my team, and he's somebody that's become a mentor. I speak to him every month or so about what's going on in my life and things of that nature. And he, he's been a, a big help for me going through this from a mental step point of view. But, you know, for me, Matt, I broke down the word time because that's, that's the most precious thing that we have. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and so for me, when I, I talk about time, I take the T and I'm thankful. I want to start every day with a grateful heart. I want to start every day knowing that I'm very fortunate to have that day. The next thing that I want to do is I want to get some type of insight every day. I want to learn or I want to read something every day to 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 better myself, maybe prepare myself for for my craft of basketball or just general education and, 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 and knowledge. Mm-hmm. From there, I want to have every day I want to have 15 minutes of some type of meditation. It can be with sound. It can be without sound or I'm in my thoughts and I just I just have an open mind and I just want thoughts to pour in. And if they're good thoughts, I write them down and try to use them and, and move forward from there and then exercise. Or right now, my exercise consists of a lot of stretching more so than working out. But I try to stretch your workout in some way or capacity every day. So that's how I break down my day every day. I love that, Danny. And, and, I, I love try that. To, Yes. You know, I, this is this is as much for the audience as, as as much for me as it is the audience. I write this stuff down. I'm taking notes. Time, thankfulness every day. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thankfulness, uh insight, you want to learn, you want to read. Uh the M is for meditation at least 15 minutes and then the E is exercise. 
I uh, really suck at the meditation and the exercise part. Um, I'm quick to the buffet. You know, I'm quick to the refrigerator. Uh, yes. I, I get my steps in from my home office to the refrigerator. But beyond that, it's a challenge for me. I, 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 if, I just don't have the – I love to run and work out when I was trying to be – when I was playing. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, now it's like, why do I need to do that? But uh, yeah. I, I, this is inspiring to me. I love, I love yeah. the acronyms. I love learning. That's awesome stuff. I appreciate you yeah. sharing. Yeah, well, yeah you, Matt, I understand my exercise. It's a lot of stretching. <laughs> it's a lot of stretching. That, that's well, I stretch. I, I stretch from my couch to the refrigerator. You know, <laughs> I, I've, I've got it just far enough where I got to stretch. No, I'm kidding. Right. So, right. D- Dan, Danny, you lose your job. How did your wife respond to that? I think that's like people don't understand the collateral damage that goes on in a household. They see a coach resigns or gets fired and they're like, okay, new guy's coming in. And they don't understand, you know, your wife invests in the community. She invested in your home. You know, uh, you, I think, as a coach, quickly move on to the next challenge as best you can. And the wife is left in the wake dealing with, the, the the collateral damage. How, how did how did Julie handle the the firing? Um, it was challenging, but you know I, I go back that even before the firing, you know the things that I really took for granted or didn't really pay a lot of attention to was the fact that she's sitting in the stands. Yeah, the fact of the things that she's hearing fans say about her husband. Yep. Some sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. But fans are fans, and so um, you know, really appreciative of the obviously her support, um, but but also of of you know the situations that I put her in as my wife and sitting, you know, being at the games and being supportive and you know having to deal with those types of situations and so you know we get fired and it's a situation where i mean she's been with me every step of the way ever since we left kansas every nba stop tulsa and wake forest she's learned the business she kind of has a, a pretty good feel for it and you know it was just something that's you know maybe it just wasn't meant to be mm-hmm. we just got to get prepared for our next opportunity and so for us, I mean, it was, and when you're in the midst of it, you really don't understand, you know, people talk about balance all the time, you know, and that's something that a word that I, I use now more frequently than I did when I had a job, because when I had the job and you're coaching, I don't know if you can, I couldn't find balance. There's no balance, much, Danny. I was looking for balance. There's yeah, no balance. Know? There's none. There's no balance. There's no right. balance. It's, it just can't happen. Yes. Yep. And, and and so for us going through it, it gave us a chance to take a step back. This was the first year that um, we were able to make our own schedule without having it revolve around the recruiting schedule, the college season, right. the practice yeah. schedule, the workout schedule, the you know, all yeah. those things. And so for us, it was you know, disappointed we didn't have a job, not coaching, because she and, and not only my wife, but all the other wives, they pour into the kids that you have on the team also. They're their mothers away from their natural families. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, you know, missing out on that opportunity and, and that being taken away was something that was challenging for all of us. But it also gave us a chance to do some things that we haven't been able to do 
in all of our time together. Mm-hmm. We got a chance to see our, our, our son Evan is a GA with Gonzaga. So we get a chance to go spend time there. Our daughter's living in Colorado. We get to spend more time going to see them and being around them. And, you know, I, I followed two teams religiously this year. Um, and one was Gonzaga and the other one was KU. Right. And I watched a bunch of games, but those were the two teams I really focused in on just because my son is there and my love for KU. And it's been a really good year for us in a challenging situation from the standpoint of spending time and being able to do things that we normally weren't able to do together. Were, were you know, were there, did you watch any Wake Forest games? I did. Yeah, I sure did. I, I didn't watch a lot of them, but I, I followed. I followed more box score with those guys just yeah. to see how the, the kids were doing that I recruited and brought in. In, and, in my, yeah, in my book, uh, I talk about triggers. Um, uh, and, and the bitter river, and you're driving over the bridge of the bitter river, and you're trying to stay focused. But then there's a trigger, and it could be, uh, uh, you know, somebody gets a job. It could be, you know, Steve Forbes getting hired at Wake Forest. It could be uh, John Collins. It could be in the paper. It could be something, and it just triggers an emotion that wants you to drive into the bitter river and you got to hold on tight and drive slow and stay focused on on the bridge to so you don't fall into the river were any triggers like that uh for you this past year um yeah john curry that name (laughs) you know i mean whatever you know he fired me right i was not i was not the person he wanted to lead the program i was not uh in some way shape or fashion good enough to lead the program and so for me um yeah, that was that was a trigger early on. You know, so when, when you heard his name, what did what did you do? What did you feel come over your body and your gut? And then how did you spin out of it? Um, what came over my body was this is the guy that took something away from me that I wanted. This was a guy that uh, you know took something away from me that I was in the process of building and making better, and I did make better. And so, you know, having to, to navigate that, that thought process, that emotion, um, it, you know, it took me a while to get through that. It, it really did, just from the standpoint of um, what you've invested mm-hmm. into your program and the things that you've done. And to have that taken away from you by someone that um, just got there was, was a tough pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand it's a part of the business. And to, you know, you have to move forward and things of that nature. So um, early on for me, probably within the, the first couple of weeks that I, I, I was fired, that his name triggered that that bitter river um, situation for me. How did, and, how did you how did you again get out of that space, that mental, how, you know, how did how did you get, move back and get back on the bridge what, what, what did you, what was your self-talk like, or, or did you, did anybody help you? Well, like I said, Dr. Joe Carr was someone yeah. that helped me. Um, my wife, Julie, we, you know, we talk and I'd be able to share my thoughts and emotions with her. And then for me, just talking to all the different coaches that I know and not necessarily about John Curry, but walking into situations where there's a leadership change um, in your department. Right. And, and having to navigate that. And then you realize that, you know what, it's, this is, this has happened before. I'm not the first person that this has happened to. How, how, how do I, how do I deal? How do I navigate it? For me, it goes back to the journal, right? Being able to put my thoughts into the journal, write down what, um, 
what was going through my mind in the journal. Now, my journal is a journal where I'm not worried about the proper spelling. Right. I'm just worried. I'm just getting getting it all out. Just kind of right. Blah. Boom. Here it is. And you know, I can understand my my scratch when I go back. And <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's a good thing in case it falls into someone yeah. else's hands. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That 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 too. And so for me. Um, it was realizing that, you know, this is a part of the business. Coaches get fired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a part of the business that you, you know, you're, you're told that we don't want you here anymore. Yeah, no. We're going to go in a different direction. And so coming to that, um, the, the point of saying, okay, from here forward, I've got to be, I've got to be positive. You know, I want to still be the person who can encourage somebody to, to give a greater effort or, or more enthusiasm or more creativity. And, uh, you, you know, for me, I have to be able to to walk that walk. Right. I, you know, I'm a coach. I, you know, I'm a leader, and I have to be able to do that in my own life and mimic that. That was something that I tried to do as a as a coach is, is mimic the behaviors that I wanted my young men to see and do. Yep. And and, and this was just a situation where I needed to do that in my own situation. You know, and I needed to to let my family know that, yeah, I'm hurt, I'm disappointed, but you know what? This isn't the end. Amen. Um, we're going to go through life. I, I, we've told you all all along that life isn't perfect and every day's not going to be great, but you got to continue to chop wood. you got to continue to take steps. And that's something that I, I, I relied on quite a bit. And then just there are a lot of other things. Like for me, Matt, I use this. It's called the five-minute journal. And my daughter, Taylor, turned me on to it. And it's a simple, effective thing to do to help me be a little bit happier every day. And I'm, I'm recommending this journal to all of your listeners. Yeah. And basically, it's every day you write down three things you're grateful for. You write down three things that would make today great and something that your affirmation of the day is. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, end of the day, you, wrote, you write down three amazing things that happened to you. And then there, you write down what could have made today better, mm-hmm. and, and and it's called the five minute journal, and it 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 really helps center me and keep me focused, um, with the mindset that I need to have to attack every day, and then from there, you know, it's sharing, it's reaching out to different coaches, different friends, different people in the business world, and just trying to gain some insight into what they're going through how they're adjusting to this, this new pandemic mm-hmm. and, and things of that nature. And so, but for me, the five minute journal is something that um, it's really important to me along with my, the acronym time. Yeah, no, I love it. That, that this is what this show is all about. Danny is uh, you, you talk about time and you say insight, learn and read. I talk about my, my leadership uh, Darty coaching practice the motto is learn and grow. And, and, and what I would say to my players, let's just get better today. That's the number one goal every day, every practice, get better today. And, and I would tell my staff, okay, we're asking our players to get better. What are we doing to get better? So we need to get better each and every day. And especially in the off season. Um, And so, you know, this five minute journal and your, your time acronym, uh, I'm taking them and putting them in my quiver and I'll be using that for sure. As you look back as a head coach at Wake Forest, what did you learn? What could you have done differently? 
I learned a lot. I mean, I, I learned that, you know, you're walking into certain situations and in coaching, Matt, you know, you, you get you get a coaching job or an opportunity for one or two reasons. The coach before you had success or the coach before you did not have success. Right. And, you know, when you walk into situations that you're rebuilding and you're trying to change the culture um, to to the culture that you vision. And, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, you're trying to change the culture because the culture was was bad. Well, a lot of times that's the case, but but also part of changing the culture is you're trying to implement your vision. Right. And that's a part of the culture, too. And so for me, it would have been walking into new situations and, and, and probably going back and looking at the history and patterns of the individuals that I, I, I walked into, the, the new players on the team, if you will. Yep and kind of make some decisions based upon my vision and what their history was or had been at that particular place. Meaning, you know, when I walked in the door, I gave everybody a clean slate. Right. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to do. And looking back on it, I don't know if that was the right thing to do um, in a sense of trying to build a team. Right. Build a foundation, build your yes. culture. And there were some – people that had a reputation that might not yes. fit your culture. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and, uh, and then most of the time, those are the individuals that end up not being there long anyways, yep. if you will. And yeah. so that would be one thing that I, I would definitely look at a lot differently, um, especially now in the era that we're experiencing with young people being able to transfer and be immediately eligible. Yep. You know, you're, you're going to lose – certain amount of kids anyways just because of a, a coaching change or leadership change and so um not trying to you know take a young man who is like eh, this is going to be a tough fit but i'm going to give an opportunity at the end of the day sometimes it's a it's a square peg in a round hole yep and, and, and having those conversations um that first year which is tough and challenging but that that's some, something definitely that i, I would have done um, and then for me, um, I don't even know if this is possible, Matt, but getting the schedule for years out, like are we, what tournaments are we scheduled to play in here for? What games series are we locked into from here forward? Mm -hmm. um, because so much of it is building your, your culture and building your, the, the confidence of your culture. And the best way to do that, as you know, is winning games yep. and, and, and going incremental in those steps. And so that's something, too, that um, definitely would jump to the forefront of my mind when you're talking about taking over a, a program and trying to implement your culture within that program. Yeah, yeah, no. When you lost your job, Danny, who was the first person to call you to reach out, to lend support, to, to give you encouragement? Um, well, the first person obviously was my wife because I told her after I got off the call. Well, we're yeah, but you know, uh, but I mean, you know, somebody outside your immediate family that you know that you called know, and so heard the, heard the news, you know, heard the news and was and may have surprised you that called you. Um, yeah, I'm to be honest with you. It was, it was uh, a lot of coaches. Coach K called, Bill Self called, Coach Williams called, 
Um, obviously, my mentor called Leonard Hamilton called me. You know, I spoke with Damon Stoudemire, Juwan Howard, Shaka, Shaka. You know, so just the fraternity of friends that you built up, mm-hmm. uh, the relationships you built. Once they hear that news, they just reach out to you, and you know, it's and, and sometimes, man, as you know, you don't want to pick up the phone, right? You know, you see him called, and it's just like, uh, but you, but I do. I, I picked up the phone, and I'm so glad I did. Because to hear their encouragement, to hear what they had to say, to hear them say, hey, Danny, I've been in that situation before. This is how I handled it. Um, Norm Roberts, assistant at Kansas, um, we, we talked quite a bit about being fired and, and taking the next steps and, and things of that nature. So, you know, to me, it was something that I got to the point of being able, comfortable enough to call guys and go, hey, this is what I'm going through. I know you've experienced it before. What are some of the things that helped you? Right. You know, how, how did you navigate this space? And, and so for me, that was really important. And uh, the forthcomingness of those coaches to share that information with me, um, because that's a bar- very vulnerable spot. Yes. That's a very open spot. And um, I just did a for the NABC, care, Coaches Caring for Coaches, we did a segment on what you go through when you when you do get fired. I did it with Tim Miles and I also did it with Pat Chambers mm-hmm. with the NABC. And it was it was really good, um, more therapeutic than anything, just because you hear what they went through and different ways that they tried to navigate it and handle it. And you know, unfortunately, you know, you have to turn it into a, a positive, something that's so negative. And and that's what everybody tries to do. Well, Robin yeah. Roberts, uh, uh, I, I use this all the time now on ABC, Good Morning America, says, make, make your mess your message. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast. That's what I'm trying to do with the book. Uh, and another friend of mine, Brian Moran, says, vulnerability is the new invincibility. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, we need to be vulnerable. That's the only way we can learn and grow. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So t- we've got about five minutes here. You mentioned all these people calling you. What was the best piece of advice you heard from any of those callers? Well, for me, it was uh, my mentor, one of my mentors, Dr. Joe Carr. Yep. And and he said, you know, when we address your team, when we address your staff, you, you, you challenge them to take steps. You challenge them to um, become better people and better at their craft. And he's like, this is what you have to do. He goes, you've got a, you've got a, a lot of things that you've got to be able to, to do in this period of time to get yourself to a point where you're ready for the next opportunity. Right. And the first thing you do is you're, you're working on yourself. And so, you know, for me, it is, you know, clarity in my life. You know, what's my why? Right. You know, my, my, my why for me is making sure that, um, uh, I provide a, a, a great atmosphere for my family to thrive in. And I look back on when I went through my ACLs. And, and at the end of the day, that was it, trying to set an example for my kids. Mm-hmm. So that's my why. I want to make sure that I manage my energy mentally and physically well. I want to make sure that, um, you know, the, the necessities in my life, the, what I want to do that, I, that I'm working on and trying to hold and, and, and get better. I want to be productive in the things that I do daily. And I want to continue to be able to influence and, and, and help people along their path of their journey. And so, you know, Matt, every day I try to reach out to one person I haven't contacted or been in contact with 
and just say, I hope your day is going well, or if you're going through a hard time, sending you some positive energy. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you understand the courage that needs to go into that, making calls for people when people are looking at you go, well, how are you doing? Right. You know, I know you lost your job. It was, you know, but yeah, I'm going through something too, but probably not as something that is out there in the media that you're going through. How are you? And I'm like, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm blessed. I, I, I'm one, I'm, I'm alive today. Yeah, amen. My family's healthy. And, and, you know, and so for me, just being able to, to share my real self, my thoughts and feelings for that day, I'm trying to do a better job of that because, you know, the era that I grew up in, that we grew up in, there was, you know, the I love yous, the the hugs, the pats. You know, I grew up in an area of tough love. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, like you did, like a lot of us did. And yeah, so what are you crying about? Day, Get back on your bike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and so for me, a lot of it is, is what I really try to in, in, incorporate within my program the last three to four years is just the message of, of love. You know, I, I, I regularly would tell our guys, I love you, I appreciate you, thank you. And, 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 and try to permeate that through all my relationships with all the friends and things of that nature, too. So just letting people know how I feel about them. It's a lot of times it's just I appreciate you. Thank you for everything, the impact that you've had for me. If, you know, sometimes it's I love you and, you know, things like that. Being more vulnerable in my words um, that I'm sharing with people. And that was a direct result of the, the journal jotting down my thoughts. Wow. And, and being able to... Uh, come to a place where I, I was comfortable with that. Uh, Danny, uh, I can't thank you enough for sharing. I learned a lot. I mean, I, this is powerful stuff. I mean, again, uh, Dr. Joe Carr, uh, time, uh, the five minute journal. Those are things I wrote down and put stars next to, um, you, I got better today because of Danny Manning. Uh, I love your attitude. Uh, you do great work on ESPN, and I, I know you probably have, like most of us, coaching's our drug. It's it's crazy. I, I say that I'm in rehab, and you're in rehab right now, and, and you, you'll be gr- even that much better with your next opportunity if and when you decide. Uh, again, thanks for sharing. We learned so much. Uh, leadership is a learned behavior. You are a leader, whether you're a parent a coach, a business owner, or a friend. We all lead in some way, shape, or form. Thanks for listening. I welcome any and all feedback. Reach me on Twitter. My handle is at Matt. 